Hey all welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunski. On this show, we want to teach you how to take a data-driven approach to your health. So we look at all of the latest technology, all of the researchers, speak to as many of the health experts as we can. First of all, to help you learn how to capture and quantify data on your health. Second, to learn how to interpret that data so you can use it for better health decision making. That's what we focus on on this show. That's also why we've created the Heads Up Health app, which will allow you to link up all of your health information into one place and use our tools to start to use that information for better health decision making. So if you haven't checked out our app yet, head over to headsuphealth.com. And now let's get into the next episode. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hey, all, welcome back to another episode of Data Driven Health Radio. And I am staring at the lovely and talented Vivica Minigats, who is making me jealous because she's sitting in this beautiful outdoor sunny space. Wow, we're about to have this wonderful conversation. And she's up in Oregon and has agreed to take time out of her busy clinical practice where she's working with, with patients on a day-to-day basis to share her expertise on everything related to keto and paleo and what she's really seeing out there in the real world that's working time and time again with actual individuals. And so we're very grateful to have her on the show today. We're going to talk about some nerdy data stuff. We're going to talk about how keto and paleo are evolving. We're going to talk about tracking and then We'll just see where the discussion leads us, but uh, most importantly, Vivica, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join us. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. It's a pleasure, and it's a pleasure after chatting with you for so long to finally kind of virtually meet you by video, at least. Next time we'll be in person, right? Well, I think we have this blossoming friendship because it seems like we're just connecting on Instagram, and then we're talking on the phone, and now we're starting to collaborate in terms of like the work we're both doing. And we're going to hang out in San Diego at Low Carb San Diego in a couple weeks. So, yeah, it's been really fun getting to know you better. Yeah, and like I am just super thrilled about this new software, that piece of genius work that you've mm-hmm. been putting together. And like really excited to just dive in there because, as, you know, as a practitioner, it's one of those tools that you wish you could create yourself because you're just trying sometimes to put all the pieces together and in a coherent way. And it doesn't happen. You just have to keep them all floating around and try to do the best you can to keep them in one place. But I'm excited about that software. That's like really a a prayer answered. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a labor of love. And one thing I realized and that I continue to realize as I learn more and interview more people is that this has to be calibrated differently for everyone. And so that's where I think the numbers can be so helpful is it just gives people a way to test it for themselves and figure out what works for their genetics, for their own level of carbohydrate intolerance, for their own level of physical activity. So 
the knobs and dials need to be tweaked a little bit differently for everybody. So that's what we're working on with Heads Up Health. But before we dive into the work you do with, uh, with your clients, I'd love to learn a little bit more about um, yourself. I understand you did some photography work in, before you got into this world. So tell us about uh, Vivica before you got into this whole um, world of working with people around their metabolic health. Yeah, I somehow got into photography. I think it was the fault of a school counselor when I was yeah. in junior college yeah. who pointed me that way. And then, you know, photography was really fun. Uh -huh. But um, I found the Art Center for Design in Pasadena, who, which was my four-year college I went to, and I just fell in love with the school. Luckily, through going through the school, I finally found my real passion, which was food photography, because, yeah. you know, my true love in life is food. Awesome. <laughs> in every way, shape, or form. So yeah. I became a food photographer. And cool. then I got... In Los Angeles is my understanding, correct? Yes, in LA, but also traveling. I, I got, you know, through school, got an agent, then started mm -hmm. going to New York, shooting for national magazines like mm -hmm. Gourmet and Vanity Fair, Bon Appetit, stuff awesome. like that. Yeah. It was super fun, and I got to eat a lot of really good food. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So were you conscious of uh, low-carb and keto as you were going through this, or was that not even on your radar? You know, it wasn't, but I, like, I've always been kind of more a traditionalist for food because I grew up in a small, in a region of Piemonte in Italy where local food, like every region in Italy has its food, but we were, you know, in Italy, we're big on local food. And the food is very different from region to region. So mm -hmm. I've always had a mindfulness for like the local, like food has got to be local. It's got to be regional. Like I love traveling just for eating local food. Mm -hmm. I loved, I went to Japan and ate my way through Japan. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, That's definitely on my bucket list is to oh, go and, and enjoy it's the culture and the cuisine in Japan. So good. <laughs> like, I think I, and I was really young the first time and really skinny and I went up like one size in my pants because awesome. I ate so much yeah <laughs> but yeah no I wasn't conscious about carbs yet but also the thing is that I come from a you know a healthy childhood of very healthy eating mm -hmm. and so I never had a metabolic dysfunction until very recently mm -hmm. so I could eat carbs and I think that carbs can be tolerated if they're sure. the right kind of carbs and I've never been really big on bread and pasta. I've mm -hmm. always preferred meats and fish and, you know, vegetables. That's always been my natural way of eating. Okay. So I never abuse sugar, I, you know. So I could tolerate the carbs that I was eating. But, you know, I'm the weirdo that likes bone marrow and brains and mm -hmm. liver. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, when I went to Japan, I remember people just being like, what? You like to eat? raw live fish you're crazy <laughs> yes i did eat raw live fish <laughs> all, all the nutrient dense stuff though is what you just rattled off there that is, right you know some people may be put off by that but but organ meats and things of that nature brain and other stuff those are incredibly nutrient dense types of foods so that's right you had a predisposition for liking that stuff which is awesome most people don't have that so that's a bonus I know. I guess I was lucky that way, but I was raised on brain and liver. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the taste of your childhood for some people is pizza and for some people is fried brains. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's a delicacy for me. We, 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 need more, we need more children that, are, that, that just don't know any better from day one and they grow up on fried brains instead of sugar and bread. So, That's right. And yeah. it comes in the womb. 
you yeah. know, like you develop, like I think there is good research that proves that you develop your taste in the womb from what your mom eats. Okay. Epigenetic so, type stuff. Yeah, definitely happened for me. And like, you know, I also grew up in a restaurant. My mom learned how to cook from chefs. Mm -hmm. And so it was definitely beneficial because like I started cooking at the age of seven. I remember you know, my first experiments in the kitchen and driving my mom crazy because I wanted to cook my own food. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you were born and raised in Italy. Yes. And then you came to the United States when? I was 23 when I moved to the States and yep. I kind of got stuck in California. <laughs> that often happens. I got stuck here too after being born and raised in Canada. <laughs> yeah, California is not a bad place to get stuck. I actually... Yeah. I'm not complaining. It's nice. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've been here for more than 25 years. So more than half of my life. Yeah. Do you still California. have a lot of family back in Italy? Yes. I have my parents. They're still living in Italy, but mm -hmm. my half brother lives in Phoenix, actually. So he's in okay. the States. Yeah. Cool. So then how did your transition begin into clinical practice and starting to work with uh, people around metabolic health and keto and low carb? What was that transition like? Well, it's kind of interesting because I don't even remember exactly how it started, but I remember that it was about 10 years ago and I started, started buying books on nutrition and I started doing raw food. That was my first attempt of like detoxing myself. And um, I, you know, probably, I don't know your followers know my history, but I always talk about my famous gallbladder disease because I started at 27 having major symptoms of gallbladder and crazy gallbladder attacks, super painful, ended up in the hospital twice. They didn't take it because they didn't let him, um, but it wasn't even like infected. It was just super painful all the time. I used to get attacks like once or twice a week, but I refused to have my gallbladder removed. My just intense, mom, intense, acute pain. pain. Yes. Yeah. And both my mom and my grandma had theirs removed. And yeah. So I started managing with uh, my chiropractor, who's also does a little bit of nutrition. He does muscle testing, uses the same supplements that I'm now using in my clinical practice. And so I was a patient first for like at least 10 years. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, there's got to be something more because this is, I'm managing, but it's not getting better. Yeah. So I started trying to detox on my own. And then everything changed when I met a person, Dr. Deborah Penner from Chico. She's also a chiropractor. And I met her, we became friends, and I ended up moving with my ex-husband to Chico to live um, on one of her properties, and she asked me to work for her. And so that's why we moved there, so I could work for her, but she pushed me so hard to study nutrition because she had a budding nutrition practice as a chiropractor and wanted somebody to help, with, to help her with that as a patient advocate, a patient counselor, detoxing coach, all of it. So she just basically kicked my butt into it. <laughs> was she doing a brick and mortar practice or was she yeah. working with people online? Yep. Nope. Brick and mortar. And we saw real patients in the practice. And yep. so I just started studying nutrition and started going to a ton of seminars with her. And we just studied together, worked together. She has an amazing experience of more than like 30 years of practice on patients so what an amazing person to be able to come and just immerse yourself with and just jump right yeah. into the deep end right and i'm eternally grateful to her she was an amazing mentor and we worked through the stuff together and with real patients which was really cool because the yep. next four years for me was like full immersion clinical practice real patients 
counseling, coaching, creating programs for her and being her office manager, just really running a full practice. It was the greatest experience. Cool. And that must have started you down the path. I guess then you, you branched out on your own, but now you've started to specialize. So tell us about how you've evolved into your current focus, which is a, is a blend of a couple disciplines around keto and paleo and how you're applying the, that, that blended uh, strategy. That's right. So I studied nutrition, like studying the founding fathers of nutrition, nutrition like Weston Price. Yep. Dr. Royale, Dr. Page, Dr. Harrower, big one that's very unknown about, you know, fa- father of the endocrine, modern endocrinologist, or even like beyond that. But uh, so I come from like this nutrient dance kind of like uh, nourishing concept of nutrition, which then evolved quickly into paleo and combined into paleo for me. That's how the name of the Nourish Cayman was mm-hmm. actually born because yeah. it was like nutrient dance plus paleo. And then about three years into my studies, or two, about two years into my study or three years, I realized that I found a ketogenic diet without even knowing it. I just stumbled into it and I started measuring my blood sugars. And that's how my came about because I, I had not done that before. And mm-hmm. I had a number of symptoms that were not getting resolved. Gallbladder was fine at that point. Detox, so, paleo, so paleo and detox helped with the gallbladder? Yes. But I started gaining weight and I wouldn't be able to lose weight. I was always hungry mm-hmm. and I started like putting on pounds, which is very unlike me because I was always been kind of naturally skinny. Yeah. And suddenly I gained like 30 pounds mm-hmm. and I was like, what the heck is going on? And so once I measured my blood sugar, it was like that light bulb moment where, you know, I was pre-diabetic yeah. and I was like, what? I should have known my grandfather, maternal grandfather, died of diabetes. Hello. <laughs> you know, you could think that you make the correlation, but I really thought I was doing the right thing and I was healthy. I was eating paleo and everything was good, right? Like, well, it wasn't. <laughs> that was honestly, Vivica, that, that's exactly, I think, what was, what was happening with me was I went off the standard American diet and moved on to paleo and, and had some results, but I was, I was still not testing my blood sugar at all. And so I don't, my family history is genetically predisposed to obesity. So for me, the blood sugar connection was the biggest epiphany in my journey as well, starting to actually understand the connection between what I was eating and blood sugar and weight gain. So I think Honestly, that's one of the most underappreciated things out there is if we could get more people to understand how food affects blood sugar. Like if the Apple Watch could just tell you your blood sugar 24-7 and you could just look at it two hours after you destroyed a pizza or a big bowl of rice and see, holy shit, I'm at, I'm at 190. And that's all more. people need to start making the corrections. But not a lot of people are self-motivated enough to buy a glucometer and start pricking their finger. That's be- right. Because if you don't have a diagnosis, just doing it for general curiosity. And therefore, I think there's just too many people walking around with like no concept between food and blood sugar. That's right. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, Dave. By the way, there is a meter that is used in clinic, clinical practice by doctors that is like, actually is used by diabetics. And it will, it's like, you, you know, it's in and it will give you a constant read of your the blood Libra? sugar. But that's not Libra. commonly, I'm yeah. sorry? 
Is it the, it's called the Libre or something like yes, that. Yes, that one. That's, that's the one. But, but I, you I still heard... need a prescription for that, right? Like I want, exactly. any, I want anybody to be able to go into Best Buy or to the Apple store and buy something off the shelf that's going to give them continuous glucose monitoring. That's what Please. I think society needs. Please. That, you know what? What happens with my clients is that once they sign up, I, start, I put them on this like, pretty intense regimen of blood sugar metering. And so for the so first... So when, when are you telling them to test? What is that metering? Like, like fasting, postprandial? What are you looking for as the clinician? Yes. And I have kind of my own little variations of it, but I put them on a seven times a day straight up for awesome. three weeks. That is awesome. And that, for me, you know, blood sugar meters are highly unreliable. Absolutely. And you know that those strips are just like, I had a whole discussion, who was it? Um, during an interview, <laughs> I had a whole really bad discussion about like the validity of blood sugar readings and how yeah. they're like BS because they're not really accurate anyways. And you need to do a full blood test to have an accurate reading, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? What we need to look at more than the individual reading is a graph. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, when you graph the blood sugar readings and the curve, the roller coaster up and down, it will put you in a whole different perspective because a lot of times people look at the blood sugar when they got blood drawn and, you know, they're like, oh, my blood sugar was like this. But that's one reading. It's like trying I mean, to watch fasting for 12 hours before the blood draw. Oh, yeah. So it's, a, it's, it's hard to glean anything from that. It's like popping in the movie theater and watching like five seconds of a movie and then be like, yeah, watch that movie. Yeah. You did not watch that movie. <laughs> so seven so, times a day. That's awesome. And, and yeah, seven times a day, fasting, and then before after breakfast, before after lunch, and before and after dinner. How long after? Two hours? No, I actually try to do it about an hour after because okay. I want to see the spike. Because you know that simple carbs will spike your blood sugar and like sugars especially. And it'll go a lot faster. Sometimes you'll see, ideally I would have them do it half an hour, an hour, and an hour and a half, and yeah. two hours after if yeah. like, we could really do it yeah. to see how the bell curve goes. Because that's where you see the carb sensitivity and the Absolutely. insulin resistance, you yeah. know. So are you asking them to also record what they ate so you can map it back? You betcha. Yeah. Cool. And I have my little format of diary that I, they put it side to side. Mm -hmm. And so I want to see foods with the reading before and after the times. And then I want to see the symptoms that go with it. And so they have to journal very accurately. And, you know, not everybody's really good at it, but most clients, most of my patients, they really dig it because it gives them a whole, like for me, that's the first connection you make with your 100 percent. That is the most important connection. Absolutely. 100 right. Because usually you're like a floating ad and your body's over there and you have yeah. absolutely no connection no idea what you put in your mouth and what effect it has like immediately on your body yep. so this is like reconnecting your head and 100%. your mouth to your stomach and your stomach to your blood you know well so, this is the beautiful thing about testing is you start to develop a connection and an awareness with your body that didn't exist before and you start to really learn how your body works and it's incredibly powerful when you can make that connection for people 
Yes. And, you know, that's what kind of reigns them in, too. If people have been, like, kind of on the fence about doing the work and, like, you know, this is going to be too much. How do I do it? I don't understand keto. And what is it? And I don't understand my symptoms. This is the first step in. It's, like, start connecting with your body and seeing the effects of what your food is having. And then everything starts making sense. That is such an incredibly effective way to start working with people, which is like, let's not get caught up in the details of what all this stuff is. I don't want to overload you right now. Let's just get some basic baseline data on how your blood sugar is responding. It doesn't take long for people to start figuring out the patterns themselves. Oh, crap. I just ate that and I'm 180. They don't, they don't need Vivica to tell them that's not good. So nope. <laughs> you're making, you're going like right, right to the, right for the jugular, right out of the gate. I love it. And, and then you can start counseling people. Okay. This is why we're going to give you this food template because you're going to eat just as many nutrient dense calories and your blood sugar is going to be perfect one hour after you eat so i imagine that's the next step is like let's get you on a a metabolically healthy uh diet that's right awesome yeah and it's really cool to see that and like it's really cool to see how people get engaged with their blood sugars and their and then like even like months later they start testing you know they go you go on and off because you don't have to keep absolutely all the time yeah yeah, you but get busy, you fall off the wagon, and you're, yeah. and you're home for a few weeks, and you're like, okay, I'm going to dial it in. So that sounds normal. Right. But you, once you know, it's like, for me, testing is just another kind of training wheels. Just like macros are for keto, they're yeah. training wheels. Yeah. So is blood sugar testing, because once you connect with your body, you're also going to be able to feel uh-huh. what your blood sugar does, you know? Yeah. And like, we live really busy lives these days. And, yeah. you know, I feel like all the testing and monitoring is extremely valuable and it's a great tool, but it doesn't necessarily have to be constantly done like 100% of the time. It's training wheels. Exactly. Then you can take the training wheels off. I put the training wheels back on when I'm going to go through a really intense period of focus. Like, okay, I'm home for three weeks. I can go buy all my healthy food. I'm going to dial in ketosis hard for two weeks. I'll start testing again. I'll put the stuff away for a few weeks. So these are just normal parts, but you're learning the skills. And once you have the skills, you can take them out of the drawer whenever you want and use them. That's right. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first part of your program is, is, is helping people make the connection with their body and with, mm-hmm. with blood sugar. And then where do you take people? And then we slowly transition. Like um, my program is mainly based around two solid concepts of nutrition. One is keto adaptation, of course, mm-hmm. because you'll be surprised how many people don't, ha- they didn't, don't manage to keto adapt. And like it's not that easy when you're very insulin resistant and there are people who of course manage to keto adapt quite easily but my main client profile like you know the typical client that i have they're not easily keto adapted for a number of reasons and i can tell you about it but so we do keto adaptation and then the other thing we do is detoxing so, so are you testing are you having your clients then also start testing for ketosis as the next phase yeah. to make sure that they're actually getting in and maintaining a nice level of because it's one thing to dip in and dip out it's one thing to say you're eating keto but never test your ketones and you have no idea so the next phase right. is like helping them induce and sustain ketosis long enough to keto adapt is that correct that's right 
and you have to really monitor both 100%. blood sugars and ketones because I don't think, and you know what? I've seen it, like I've worked with hundreds of people and like I probably seen maybe probably a handful, like really successfully deeply keto adapt. Yep. And that's the people that have been very compliant because yep. when you keep popping out of ketosis and like you keep cheating a little here, cheating a little there or not quite reaching your target, like being under your target of macros or carbs, it just doesn't work, you know. Um, and when they do, because the way I can tell is how they feel. Yeah. Because once you're really, truly keto-adapted, things just go pop to the next level. Uh, yes, physical it, energy and everything just kind of like upregulate. Mental clarity yeah. and physical energy, sleep, like yeah. just like you kind of become a little superhuman. Yeah. I mean, like super optimized. Yeah. You know? and, it's, and also the beauty of it is not easy to undo because you can stay keto-adapted. Once you reach that level, mm -hmm. then it's much easier to navigate normal life because you can pop out of ketosis for a day, but then you're back on track the next day and you're back in. Yep. You don't lose keto adaptation. I mean, it's yep. hard to, it's like the summit. It's hard to reach, but once you're there, you're there. Well, I mean, I can speak from my own personal journey. And the first, what I noticed was that, first of all, if I was regularly testing ketosis, I was having much better results because it was forcing me to be honest with myself about whether I was in or not. And I have the graphs in Heads Up Health, and I can see, I can mm -hmm. overlay my weight readings and my blood ketone readings, and you'll see where there's periods of no testing. That's where the weight goes up. And there's periods where I'm regularly testing, the weight's coming down. So just the psychological aspect of testing, I think, right. has a profound impact. The other thing I noticed was that sometimes there's trigger foods where if I eat that trigger food, it can take me days, sometimes weeks to get back on track. So it's something about the addictive nature or whatever that, that highly processed bread or sugar does to our brain or our microbiome. So I've noticed that certain foods can take longer for me to, whatever it is, to get back into that metabolic sweet spot. So just starting to avoid those foods. And it's taken me years. And now I can dip in and dip out. I have a really, really good level of metabolic flexibility. But nice. um, it takes work. Yeah, that's funny because as you're talking about those foods, like I would have probably said if it was just a week ago, I would have told you like, yeah, those are foods that you have sensitivities to. Mm -hmm. But now I interviewed Dr. Sophia Clements yesterday uh, mm -hmm. from Paleo Medicina. And like now I would probably say, yeah, those are probably not paleolithic foods. Yeah, well, anything like you look at, look at if you look at white bread in our society, and you look at how highly refined and processed that is, and you look at white sugar, and you look at cocaine, right? Which is a leaf that is absolutely harmless. And when you, when you process it to the extreme, it becomes this highly compulsive compound. I don't think white bread and white sugar are any different. And That's right. those are some of the ones that I, like, if I eat those things, it's just... I just can't wake up in the morning and snap back to my keto self. It, it takes a couple days of like kicking myself in the butt to like get back to it. So yeah, so those true. are part of the challenges that we all have to go through on this journey. Yeah. And it's funny because I like usually cheat a lot. Like that's called cheat, like gluten, especially really not my friend. 
uh, I don't need sugar because like I'm not, you know, a, a sweet tooth kind of person. But sometimes it does happen once in a blue moon. I remember last year on my birthday, I was in Mexico mm-hmm. and I deliberately decided to do a little experiment with myself yeah. and eat a bunch of sweet bread pastries for breakfast yeah. for my birthday. Because uh-huh. in Mexico, they just put these crazy baskets of sweet breads yeah. and pastries in front of you. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do an experiment. You bite into that stuff. And I could feel the neurons firing like crazy going from my mouth into my brain yeah. and just literally the demon raising his head and going like, yeah. like more, I want more. It's so crazy. Sugar like, addiction is a real thing. Yeah. It's real. I mean, it's, I've, it is, I've, seen yeah. kid, I've seen kids yeah, and, 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 and I've seen their eyes like roll back in their head. Like as, <laughs> as soon as they get certain foods, I'm like, that is terrifying. So, yep. it's really yeah, scary. I, I was moving from San Francisco. I was moving up to Lake Tahoe just like three weeks ago. My cousin and I were like working hard all day. And he walks in the door with like this incredible pizza. And so that was my little experience. I, I, just, I destroyed that thing in like three minutes. So that was three weeks ago. And I've been back up, back on track ever since. But yeah, these, these, these situations do come up in, in life. I know. And, but you know what, Dave, what I tell my patients all the time is like, pick your battles. Yeah. Because we can always call it a carb up. Yeah. But a carb up, like, you know, there is one famous bodybuilder guy, keto guru guy that I'm not going to name. And he does carb ups with donuts. Yeah. And like, I'm like, don't go there. You can do a carb up. Sometimes you want to do it. You want to go off being fully keto and do have some carbs. And that's not going to be necessarily bad for you because it can wrap around your insulin and make you more sensitive in the end, you know. So there is benefits to that and still be and maintain, be keto adapted, maintain keto adaptation. But don't eat gluten and dairy, at least in my book, you know, like don't go cheat and have a carb up with a donut or a bear claw. You can do a carb up with, you know, even a piece of fruit if it's yeah. what you want, you know, like you can have more carbs at target, especially if you're working out, yeah. especially if you're like, you know, doing super intense workouts where your muscles actually want the sugar yeah. as a primary fuel because your muscles choose, you know, and when we do this like high intensity extreme workouts, your muscles do prefer sugar. I mean, yeah. you're, I'm sure you know all about it. I'm not even a workout expert here, but you know, I'm just saying that pick your battles and you can stay keto choosing better foods and you don't have necessarily to to like stray off like the high nutrient foods or the you know healing foods the healthy foods just because you want to do a carb up or like you know you need to get off track for a second yeah the psychological aspect of i think it is is something that's often overlooked is as well and uh, the, the pressures in society, the temptations, just our ability to self-regulate is subject to how stressed out we are, how much sleep we got. So there's a whole psychological element to this as well. I always just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make the best choice I can at that exact moment in time. It may not be the best one, but it's probably not the worst one either. So that's just how we need to learn how to work with our, with our own mind as much as it is anything else, our own self. Yeah, I so agree with that. I just did a post. I think it was my last post is going to be on the blog today when my assistants gracefully put it on there. (laughs) But it's about food shaming, health food shaming. Yeah. Not just food shaming, health food shaming and keto shaming. And 
I just had a kind of a rude awakening to that about peer pressure and the reality of like, you know, the pressure that other people put on us and how do we navigate this whole world of like yeah. super unhealthy food environments and, you know, mental environment and toxic mental attitudes. How do we navigate it when we want to make better choices? Yeah, yeah it's, it's real. I, uh... I had Carol Freeman on the show, and one of her areas of expertise is, is the psychology of eating, mm. the psychology of food addiction. And she works, with, she works with clients who really struggle with that, e- even to the point where they have a hard time driving by a certain restaurant on their way home from work. You know, really, these, these, are, these are hard things, psychologically speaking, and we need to sometimes change our environment. Like we may need to take a different way home from, from work to make sure that we're setting ourselves up for success. So even with the best intentions and with the best access to information, there's, there's still the aspect of ourselves that we need to manage, which is really hard. That's right. We're just human. And I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? We're human, so complex and mysterious and fragile and strong at the I same time. Yeah, we need to appreciate the beauty in that as well. That's right. So you've been experimenting with carnivore, and um, maybe you can share some of your experience there. And I, I think some people might not know exactly what that is. So could you just set the record straight on that first? Okay. So first of all, disclaimer here is being just an experiment, and I'm just playing with it and That's sharing, cool. yeah. sharing my journey because I have not fully committed to this, and I've not been like, I want, I want to try it as well. So I'm going to do my little, it seems like all the cool kids are doing it now. So at some well, point. It's gotta, pretty amazing. But yeah. I got totally schooled. As I told you, I was interviewing Dr. Clements yesterday and I got schooled big time. Like <laughs> I love what they're doing there in Hungary with their clinic. I'm yeah. probably going to go there this summer as I'm going to Italy in August and I'm going to try to pop over to Hungary and become her patient for a minute so I can really try to do this on myself. I mean, I'm pretty healthy, but I'm sure she can find something wrong with me. The good doctors always can. (laughs) You know, but anyway, so this all started out because one of my patients, she's a one-year patient. We're talking every week for a year and going pretty deep with her work. And she's been like she came to me really desperate, like one of those cases that she's tried everything she knew. And, you know, young patient, 33, very smart, a practitioner, really committed to her health. And she just couldn't resolve issues like leaky gut, hypothyroid, um, chronic constipation, like really kind of stubborn things, energy, really bad energy, um, adrenals, fried. And so we start working together and like, just like, I'm taking her into keto and keto paleo and just like, we just start working with different layers. Um, And that's something that I wanted to kind of become present to like with your audience as well, that there are layers and there are steps. Yeah. I don't think that necessarily everybody is ready to jump from the sad diet into carnivore. Mm -hmm. There might be people, but there might be people that need degrees of involvement and degrees of understanding, like figuring out kind of where you are at in the spectrum of not just what is good for you physically, but also like what you can manage mentally, like we just talked about, you know, um, psychologically and environmentally with your family, with your kids, with your husband, with like, you know, wherever situation you're in. So 
maybe going super strict paleo carnivore um, or paleo ketogenic paleo, like they call it um, in Hungary there, it's the best thing you can do physiologically for our evolution or, you know, our metabolism and our, you know, genetical evolution or body profile. It might be the best thing, but really where in the lifestyle that we live, it might not be possible for everybody. Sure. So anyways, um, I started about three weeks ago because this patient, she suddenly broke the news to me. I'm going carnivore. I'm just going to try this experiment where it's just meat and water. And I kind of freaked out a little bit because I usually don't recommend things that I haven't tried on myself, mm-hmm. unlike most doctors. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I can't tell you if this is going to be good or bad for you if I haven't tried it on my own body, you know, and at least have some sort of knowledge and understanding of why and how to do things. So she kind of pushed me into doing it with her, not by doing, asking me to do it, but I had to like, in a hurry, try it on for size. And so we started together. She was really strict and adherent. And for the first three weeks, she just did meat and water. And I kind of started at 80-20, so 80% meat, 20% greens, still had some fermented foods in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some chocolate, because that's, I don't know, I never liked chocolate, but lately there is this thing that chocolate appeared in my life, and finally I want to eat chocolate at least once a day. Yeah, embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been like, and then I went strict for about a week. Yep. And then, like, I've also been extremely busy, plus traveling, plus really stressed. All these things layered upon each other. So I'm like, I am trying to navigate this experiment in my own life the best way I can. It's hard, yeah. Yeah. And not being able to be, like, super perfect all the time. So I did a week of pretty consistently good meat and water, and then I popped back out. I also noticed some changes in my gut. So that was like one of my first questions is like the benefits of doing this diet on the gut eating just me how does that work on your microbiome what microbiome is there a difference in microbiome between between one person and the other your tolerance for fiber do we all have leaky gut (laughs) probably according according to dr clemens we do yeah because basically what she says is that any food that is not fat and meat animal protein will give you leaky gut instantly. Mm. So I haven't quite wrapped my head around that. No, me neither. That's just from yesterday that I talked to her and starting to really dig deeper into their work. Mm -hmm. But is that true? And I mean, these are doctors and scientists. They check lab markers extensively and they check gut permeability markers in all of their patients and track them track them carefully data driven yes this is not empirical this is not symptom based this is just data whose work is this vivica i want to look i will share that with you um afterwards and yes i think that you should really look into it because in the states there i found people certain people like sean baker they're doing carnivore but this is very different than just carnivore this is a very specific approach that i find really fascinating because i call my way of eating keto paleo Mm -hmm. and they call theirs pkd paleolithic ketogenic diet which i can't pronounce because i'm dyslexic and it always comes out different but no no worries (laughs) paleo keto you know So I was like, wow, paleo keto and keto paleo, we got to have something in common. Uh 
And then as I started digging deeper into the work, I was like, wow, this is radical. Like, it's really, it you know, I radical. thought I was radical with like eating organ meats and nutrient-dense foods, but they're extremely radical because their way of eating paleolithic ketogenic foods is only organ, fat, and protein. No carbs, at least yeah. at the beginning, for three months, no carbs. And, and is, is a lot of that in, in the direction of helping people regain gut health? It sounds like they're doing the intestinal permeability experiments, and they're obviously yeah. seeing results by doing yep. this. So that's yeah. a very fascinating approach that I, right. I think is, I hadn't come across before. Actually, logically, it makes sense. So it's cool to see that they're really testing this in clinical setting as well. I, I would love to do some more research on that. It sounds fascinating. Yes. So we for your one week, were you testing blood yeah. sugar ketones? What did you notice in the week? <sighs> blood sugars, actually, I didn't. And that's why it's an imperfect experiment. I lost yeah. my meter. I couldn't yeah. find it. But I was testing ketones through breath with the ketonics. Uh, yeah. And I was in the highest ketosis I've ever been in my life. Damn. It was beautiful. And I was eating. How did you feel? I felt good. Aside, it was like a super stressful week. And yeah. I did experience some cravings yep. that week. I think this is part of an adaptation. That, For sure. Like, once you're keto adapted, but then this is part of a different layer of adaptation that is even deeper, where you strip all the inflammatory foods and all the foods that are supposedly giving you leaky gut. And you go through the withdrawal of that food. And that is including stuff that we cons I consider healthy, like Me too, I'm sure. Food, yeah. Sauerkraut, kimchi, like my favorite stuff in the world. No more of that. And that, you know why, you know why that happens? is because you are reconstructing your microbiome. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And you're changing your bacteria, your flora is changing. Absolutely. So, as the, the ones that need you need the you know the bacteria you need to digest fiber and carbohydrate to decompose and break them down as they die they're like ah, screaming for like feed us we're starving you yeah know? messages to the brain go get me these foods now that's right so now that like this past week i've actually been more compliant and just really eating no veggies at all this is interesting I'd love i had a piece of chocolate <laughs> darn it uh, <laughs> and yeah. i had a bit of fermented food last week uh, and then this last like five days i've been trying to be just strictly meat of finding enough fatty meat with enough fat in it but i was eating geese so geese out the window it's just like really animal fat like yeah. it has to be tallow I think and this I, is uh, a really intriguing experiment. I'm actually really becoming curious about it myself as I hear you explaining it more. Logically, there's things that make a lot of sense to me. Presumably, this is not... Oh, we've got some sirens in the background. Yeah, I'm doing Hold on a second. No problem. Yeah, it, it all sounds incredible. I think that it's also exciting that there's more people testing this now. And, okay, fine. It's people doing their N equals one. But they're sharing what's happening out there, and mm -hmm. we can we can learn from each other. And yeah. there may be conditions where this becomes extremely beneficial. Then there may be conditions where people respond terribly, and that's all part of the individualization of this whole thing. But it's certainly something that is intriguing, and I think worth trying as long as it's done properly. Ideally, with someone who can counsel you. But really fascinating stuff. Yeah, I think my next step in my practice is getting trained 
to really um, do this the right way. I think it's exciting. I know, and it's um, it's kind of crazy because like I'm like, so whatever I've done until now, what do I do with that? It's but, an interesting specialization because I would I would bet that there's not a lot of practitioners out there who can properly guide people to do no. a, an intervention like this. So I think that makes a lot of sense to specialize. Yeah, and you know what? Again, there is always room for whatever I've been doing before because now there is those considerations that this might not be for everybody. Absolutely. And it's also development. Like, I feel like it's like in my patient who's doing carnivore, she has tried everything else. She was vegan, vegetarian, Ayurvedic, keto, keto paleo, and now mm-hmm. she's finally got to do, you know. Helping? So she's doing amazing. Mm. And I'm doing pretty great myself. Like, you know, and for another thing I wanted to mention is that the first week I gained weight, Mm-hmm. And I was also working out every single day. So I felt like I was gaining muscle mass, but like mm-hmm. I was gaining some bulk. Mm-hmm. And now because I was traveling, I couldn't work out and I got stricter again. And now I lost, like I dropped five pounds in a week, like boom, without even wanting to. Yep. Well, and I think that yeah, another interesting component of this is um, the uh, genetic testing. Uh, so for example, when I spoke with Nasha Winters, who's working with uh, cancer patients on keto, she'll run the nutrition genome testing and that will help her understand how patients are going to respond to different dietary interventions. And that may also help us calibrate who this might work for and who it might not, or if it's not ideal for you, how you can supplement in ways that can make it more tolerable for your body. I think this is all stuff we're uncovering as we as we continue to evolve. And that's something you wanted to mention, which is the evolution of all of this. And We are all witnessing this evolution happen in front of our eyes with all of the people who are testing these things and sharing it with each other on social media. And so there is an evolution to all of this. It's exciting to watch. I think it's a net win for people's health overall. It's completely outside the purview of conventional medicine. This is all being driven by people doing their own, like you got this world over here and then all these people who are trying these things and pushing the envelope which is exciting and fascinating that's right um, i was discussing that with a friend that you know the amazing amount of information cutting edge information that we find now is in podcasts and interviews yeah. it's online it's not even in the research yet no no textbooks no medical schools not even probably in a lot of the holistic programs are probably still behind on a lot of right i can't even go refer yeah refer back to the materials that you know from my nutrition courses because this is all happening this minute and it's out there um, there are doctors, there are some doctors like Dr. Limansky, mm-hmm. he works with Jimmy Moore, and then yep. Dr. Ted Neiman is mm-hmm. amazing and doing some really great, like really hands-on research, both in labs and with clinical practice on his patients, yep. you know, um, and this is all happening right now. So like we can find like, it's like a new movement and like I find it extremely exciting because this is what we need to heal this sick nation and to yeah. heal this broken food system. Yeah. It needs like people that are passionate about it and they're sharing what they're doing. Like you are yeah. creating these amazing tools like you are doing and like, you know, putting our heads together and how do we resolve this crisis? It's That's not awesome. with the big powers. This yeah. is with the people. This is like a real grassroots 
you know, food revolution, health revolution, and it's right here. Yeah, and it's amazing to see the impact that it's having on people. That's the most exciting part. So there's one quote, Vivica, uh, in the introduction to your book, and it says, if you do not take time for your health today, you will have to take time for your illness tomorrow. <laughs> yes, Dr. Bruce Bond. I love is, that. Uh, yeah, one of the doctors that I took seminars from, um, quite amazing practitioner too, but isn't that, yeah, that says it all, right? <laughs> Yeah, and we want to get people educated and we want to get people engaged. For too long, we've just been deferring to a medical system and not even having access to our medical records and not even being able to understand connection between food and blood sugar and like vital things that we have to learn if we're going to stay disease-free. The odds are not in our favor right now. So I just think that's just a really succinct quote and a great way to... I guess, emphasize the work that you do, the work that I do, and how we can help people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's important. And thank you for bringing that up. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been great speaking with you. I think this is the beginning of a lot more that we can start to collaborate on. So I will see you in a couple of weeks. But before we go, I know that there's a lot of places where people can find you. There may be people listening who would like to work with you as a client. There may be people who want to connect with you. How do people find Vivica? Yeah, Vivica seems like it's all over the internet. Yes, you are everywhere. <laughs> Google Vivica, Vivica Nutrition and there is like four pages of Google. I was like recently found out. I was like, wow. Yes, you're, you're having an impact. Uh, so the Nourish Caveman is my blog and uh -huh. my main hub, let's call it, because that from there you can kind of connect to all the other media um so i'm on facebook i have a facebook page and nourish caveman mm -hmm. i also have two private groups um that are for people to that want to engage with me in like conversation and yeah. like experimenting with keto paleo you and do then facebook of course lives as well i think right i do i'm still like i'm old school i'm still on facebook i also do instagram mm -hmm. but quite not as much instagram i just Bad heads with Instagram and I all my content ends up on the blog and on YouTube I also have a YouTube channel that I'm growing and putting new content on there so whatever latest things that I'm up to you can always find videos on YouTube and posts on Facebook and Instagram oh Instagram has my food so what I actually if you want to see what Vivica eats like my fancy ribeye steaks or mm -hmm. my yasubuko and raw beef tartare whatever I'm yes. up to you can see awesome. that on Instagram <laughs> cool right on well it's a lovely sunny day there it's Friday so let me return you back to your day and usher to you patience. to the weekend. <laughs> yes. Not yet. I still Not have yet. two calls back to back right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. I got a couple more hours to go. So this has been really fun chatting with you, Vivica. It's been an honor. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Dave. It's a All pleasure. Right. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 